So how you doing? I want to lecture today on the relationship between reductionism and teleology, <laughs> which any of you want to want to maybe excuse yourselves, you're free to do so. I'll tell you how this evolved. It evolves like most uh, things that I get focused on to try to metabolize is because of irritation. Now, there must be a wonderful metaphor in the oyster metaphor of how the oyster, in this great uh, sense of natural interiority, gets a little grit on the inside and struggles uh, against that grit to make a pearl. Now, I would not claim uh, that I will make a pearl today, but I have been irritated uh, for some time, not unlike two weeks ago when I unlashed, or was it now three weeks ago, unlashed uh, this lecture on people who say how blessed they've been, which really means how lucky they've been, uh, which is not all to be confused with blessing, which is, means blood sacrifice. And so that was an irritation uh, that caused me to uh, work toward metabolizing that irritation into something, um, a pearl of wisdom, as it were. I have another one I've been working on for some time, maybe 20 years. And that is what I have referred to before as the cosmic bellhop theory of God's action in the world. And that is that sense and language system of those who say that uh, God led me or God provided uh, for me. I'm a little nervous when God speaks back to me in these microphones. Well, that sort of language system of naivete, if not ignorance, that says, God led me, God showed me, God told me, God spoke to me, God provided for me, uh, in the sense that I had a need, I called upon God like one does a bellhop, and God serviced me. Well, I think, having tried uh, for 20 years to understand that, I think I'm beginning to get an understanding about what that really means. And it has to do with energy. Now, uh, with my great apologies to Coach Thompson, who was my high school physics teacher, he was a former coach, and when he retired from coaching, he taught physics. With a, with a radical, deep-rooted sense of intuition, I'm sure you can imagine what kind of teacher he was. I remember spending four weeks on the discussion of whether a ball really curves or not. <laughs> he was arguing against his contemporaries in books <laughs> by his admonition well, those guys have never tried to hit one of those damn things. <laughs> so my high school physics, which was the apogee of my training in physics, uh, my physics training has been limited. But because I have sought to be a theologian and somewhat of a psychologist, 
something interesting has happened in the last decade, and that is that the physicists are doing theology. And that's got me really interested because they are very interested in energy. Now, I don't uh, know very much about this, except I know everything there is to know about it. I just cannot articulate it. And so do you. Interestingly enough, that what I want to talk about is not the theory of quantum physics or quantum mechanics. I really cannot do that. But I want to talk about the experience of that about which they are trying uh, to speak. It has to do with energy. It has to do with the fact that there is, within each human being, a quantum of physical energy. Now, how do we access and focus that energy? Now, as you might guess, I'm still going slowly toward my irritation with those who have the language system of saying that they control God, which is an, essentially what that's about, God as cosmic bellhop. And that is, I'm able to control God by directing God to meet my needs. I think that's at best, uh, an inadequate theology. But I think what's going on is a language system trying to express how it is that their faith focuses their own energy. It's still possible for you to leave. <laughs> I know this isn't as interesting as those stories about my childhood and drum ride, but... Every third week, I have to do something of a significant statement. <laughs> Only be about another 20 minutes. We're trying to think about how it is that these folks talk about God doing things for them, have done things in their lives, while the rest of us uh, sit there with egg on our face saying, what about me? Why is it that God hasn't taken over my life in the way God has taken over their lives? Well, I think... It has to do with our own theology about how energy gets focused. Now, if there is energy within the human psyche, which I believe there is, and I believe it's the same as kinetic energy, and that is energy that moves objects, and I think that that energy is available to us as a primary resource for the journey to holiness. That is psychic energy. I believe further that the source of that energy is the source of all the energy in the universe and that the source of that energy is that which we're trying to discover as we work uh, backwards in some kind of reductionism to figure out what was the primary source of all this energy. Well, I believe that the primary source of all of this energy is the primary source, the source of all the energy in the universe. And that that source has implanted within us something of that raw energy as a resource. And we have a language system to talk about that, that the spirit dwells within or the Holy Spirit that directs and rules my heart, 
are those who live in love, live in God, and God lives in them. All that sense from the beginning in the Judeo-Christian theology that says there is a spirit within each of us, and it's a holy spirit. Holy simply means other than human, and so that we are these walking contradictions of being very human, while at the same time having the imago Dei, the image of God, or something of God within us, so that we're these walking contradictions between being human and holy at one and the same time. Very confusing, very complex, but it is our gift, it is our blessing, as it were, to be this moving contradiction of image of God, and at the same time, this protoplasm of animal instincts and appetites. An interesting description of the human being, wouldn't you agree? Now, what is it that we are to do with this energy? Well, we are to create or be creative. That's the nature of this resource, this source that is planted within us, this energy, the psychic energy. Now, it seems to me if we want to begin to look spiritually or psychologically at the way that this energy works, that it, that it begins to work within us with a goal. And the goal is to become holy all that we were created to be, which may be the best definition of human holiness is for the human being to become whatever it was that was in the mind of the one who conceived of me. And the one who conceived me, of course, was not my father nor my mother, but the source of all life. God, by any other name, conceived of me, and I was conceived through two human beings. So I have some biology and biography which make up my journey. And I have this energy within me that somehow is focused toward my making a contribution to the universal wholeness, through my own wholeness. That is the journey of faith. The journey of faith, it seems to me, of the spiritual journey, of the Christian journey, of the religious journey, is not about memorizing the external code and following it to the letter. The existence of the external code is in, to, in order to enable us to journey. In other words, it's simply those are the red lights and stop signs of culture that are very, very important. But for one to say that the religious journey is to follow the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule or to somehow uh, follow these intricate sets of laws that have been externalized would be to drive from here to the Grand Canyon and to strive, describe the trip on the basis of the stop signs uh, and the stoplights. The stop signs and the stoplights were only set up in, in order to enable you to get to the Grand Canyon without being killed. And so the law, the rules of religion, are set up so we don't kill each other on our journey to wholeness. It's an oversimplification, but it's memorable. <laughs> It's the harnessing of and focusing this quantum of energy that is packaged within this one system called the human being that is the religious journey. 
and that is how can I take this energy and create a universe in this individual life that will contribute uh, to the expansion and the fulfillment of the entire universe. That is at one and the same time the most humble and egocentric statement one can make. And I think both are important. And that is, my journey to harness and focus this energy given to me, that my journey is in order to enable the universe to become whole. As a matter of fact, the universe is dependent upon me for my quantum. And yet at the same time, my quantum is just a small speck in the universe. Both at one and the same time, we are extremely important and no more important than any other particle that is making a contribution. That contradiction, I think, is true also. Now, those who say that this external event was caused by God, if we give them due credit, what we need to translate is that that is their understanding of God. It is not a statement about God. Any more than my statements about God capture anything more about God than I can capture with my own intellect. There are no statements about God that are anything other than that. The seduction of the theologian is to believe that by naming God we have harnessed that power and made a definition. That seems to me to begin to be the dark side of why I find myself irritated with those who are not as much interested in God directing and ruling their hearts as they are interested in the egocentric authoritarian position of directing and ruling other people's hearts by defining God and presuming that power and therefore directing and ruling everybody else but themselves. That's the dark side of that theological system that says that we can harness God for our own purposes. If I can do that, then I can harness God for your purpose, and that is that I can control you, which is the worst sense of inflation because that means that I am in charge of the universe rather than in charge of being a part of the universe by taking care of my own wholeness. Now what happens, it seems to me, with this interior energy is that it directs and moves us. And one of the ways that the energy is focused and harnessed is through awareness. And that this energy focused in the human being takes on a certain uniqueness or individuality given this biology and biography. And that as we develop, we develop a center of consciousness, which is an ego, which is full of energy. It is a a quantum of energy, as it were, or a complex of energy. And that this energy has real power for creativity and destruction. 
the harnessing of that energy is very important and that's why we need stop signs and stoplights within cultures so that we know what is the most creative use of this energy. Well, it seems to be more creative to focus the energy on life than on death, on contributing rather than stealing, uh, on respect of others and their property uh, rather than destruction. So there are important things that are set up to control or set ego boundaries because there's incredible energy therein. Now, the more conscious we become, evidently, the more we are able to handle or direct this energy that's given to us. What happens in the external world, then, is that we are given evidences of whether this energy is being focused creatively or destructively. And the evidence of that will be a crisis which will create a pain which will demand a change. And that energy will destroy. It will divide. So that if our energy is not being focused creatively, it will be out of control and it's raw energy and it may do some good, but it also may do some incredible harm, so it needs to be harnessed or contained in a cultural understanding of appropriate behavior of energy within a culture. Very important function of religion is to set that ethical and moral boundary. But that's not religion. It is one of the functions of religion. The function of religion is to bind the human energy source to its primary source, to link it up so that we become contributors to the evolution of creation rather than those who are detracting from it. Now, in the individual story, it really takes uh, the form of a life lived, a story that is being written, full of all of the elements that are in a good story. The reason then, as we begin to analyze and look at the story, the question is, is this story being what God or life conceived it to be in the beginning, or is it being something else? The clue to that tends to be, how is the energy being focused? If it seems to be going well, then evidently the energy is being focused toward wholeness. If it seems to not be going well, it seems to be a clue that things aren't going well. It's not just if it feels good, do it. That's egocentric satiation of the desire for approval, gratification, stimulation. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, is it creative? Is it being creative? Well, the answer to that generally is, we don't know. And that sets up a terrible problem for us because we don't always know in every situation 
whether this is an act of creativity or an act of uh, destruction. And so we must have some way to reflect upon our action in order to be responsible to see if we can refocus that energy. Now, if we're not in the process of action and reflection and just live unconsciously, then we will do a lot of good and a lot of harm. But if we are reflecting upon our journey consciously, we are able to take the energy and focus it. If not, it's just out of control. Now what life does to us with the energy is that if we are not focusing the energy creatively, it will be focused in some kind of pattern to get our, that will create pain in order to cause a change. That's called a crisis. It will bring to consciousness the need. Now what do we do then when we find ourselves in crisis? Physical illness, which may be one of the ways that the psyche seeks to get the attention uh, of the ego or consciousness, a physical illness. It may be a spiritual illness or a psychological illness. It may be an accident or a trauma. It may uh, be a revelation of some kind or a dream. But something will occur in the outer world to tell you what is your status on the interior world. It will occur. It's as if the energy on the interior will focus in the external world some event that will call for a change. It just happens. Now you're beginning to hear how I began this lecture by people saying, God did that. It may, after all, be a statement of faith that has some real substance to it. When somebody says, God did that, it may be more profound than we realize, maybe even more profound than they realize, because the primary source of the energy is God, God's self. And as that energy seeks its original goal to make a universe whole, all of those things that are barriers to wholeness will be created in the external world to make for a crisis, to, to cause what the Greeks called a metanoia, which is a changing of one's mind, a redirecting of one's energy in a new direction. So that if one has an illness or an accident or if one has a divorce or a move or a failure or a firing, maybe it is within a corporate or individual language system to say, God did that. Because at the root of that, that may be indeed what's going on. All we've done is put human characteristics on God and revealed our understanding of God by putting human qualities onto God. It seems to me as if the world was waiting for my permission that that might be okay. And as long as we understand what we're doing, because the dark side of that, if I say uh, God was trying to tell you something through your illness, all of a sudden we're beginning to be uh, dangerously close to the edge 
of magical thinking and superstition. As long as whoever it is that's saying God caused that or God delivered that, as long as they're not going to try to take that energy and run the universe or my life, and it seems to me however they want to describe the use of energy, spiritual and psychic in their own lives is entirely up to them in their own language system. So if they want to talk about God directing and ruling, they may, as long as they don't try to take that energy and direct and rule me, or my universe, or the universe. Now what happens, it seems to me then, in the sense of reductionism versus teleology? How are we doing? is that when we're in crisis, illness, sickness, trauma, tragedy, fill in the blanks, we need to analyze what direction are we to go. Metanoia means to turn around and go a new direction. But I don't know what direction to go because I live in the midst of human limitations. Well, there are two ways to evaluate the crisis, the illness, the situation, the pain, the depression. One is through reductionism, and that is to go and back and look at the cause of this effect. There is an external effect and usually an internal affect. There's something that's happened in the outer world, and it's caused a feeling. What is that? And one way to analyze or evaluate is reductionism, to reduce this cause in the outer, this effect in the outer world to some cause in the inner world. I think it's valuable. And much of confession or psychotherapy, and they have a lot in common, is to try to get at what has caused this. But the difficulty with that is that we have very small flashlights called consciousness into a great chasm of darkness called the unconscious. And the contributing factors to an effect in the outer world, considering all of the causes on the inner world, if we're lucky, occasionally our pin light will shine right on the source or cause. And so all spiritual directors and all therapists really are uh, speed unklers in this great cave of the unconscious who've gone in with simply a pin light. And so the success in the therapeutic community of attributing cause to effect is very low. So low that we therapists have been so depressed about it, we've made stuff up. <laughs> I mean, if somebody's paying $100 an hour, they ought to get an answer, don't you think? <laughs> We're even more subtle about that because we say, we know, but you must discover for yourself. <laughs> so let's talk for uh, several years. <laughs> now, I believe somewhere under the theory of uh, that uh, Glick has put forth in his book on chaos, that probably 
all things in the outer world are connected to some primary cause in the inner world. The problem is having the awareness to look at all of the chain, intricate, complicated chain of events that led to this effect in the outer world. That's his butterfly principle that's very popular, and that is there is the belief that there's no such thing as chaos, just apparent chaos, and chaos really is the inability to make the connection, that things are connected, and that if the butterfly beats his wings in Peking, it will eventually be a thunderstorm in New York. But who among us, in the midst of the rain in Manhattan, can take a pin light and shine back to Peking and say, aha! So it is with spiritual direction or psychotherapy. We're not always able through reductionism to discover the cause and the effect except in gross categories. Your mother didn't love you. Now the other problem with reductionism is once we discover what the cause is, the effect doesn't disappear. Necessarily. We just have to be responsible for it. And so we're left with this wonderful information and awareness about what has caused this limp, but we still limp. That's very important because it does allow us to know much more about ourselves and to take responsibility for ourselves rather than using the magical or superstitious language that somebody else caused this. No, it's a part of your own story for which you have to take responsibility. That's reductionism. I prefer teleology. Now that's not instead of, but in addition to reductionism. Teleology is the concept. Telos has to do with the end. Ology, as you know, has to do with the discourse or study of. Theus is God. Theology is the study of God. Psyche is the psychology is the study of the psyche. Teleology is the study of the end of things. Teleology. And that is the theory that within the moment we can see the developing pattern of what is the end of this. So that when somebody has a crisis, an illness, a tragedy or a trauma in their life, rather than asking just the question, what caused this, you can ask the question, where is this leading? What is the teleology of this? What does the external world want from you? It's a very different concept. I think both are important. Teleology is the sense that the end toward which we are moving is hidden in the moment. That we have within every event a clue as to where it is that we're leading. So that within a quantum of energy, we have both the source of what caused this event and within it, where it is that the event is to lead. Now this, it seems to me, is a statement of faith. And that is that wherever this event is leading is toward wholeness that what caused the event in general is 
that there's something going on in the inside of you that the only way it could ever get your attention was to externalize itself. And the only way to get your attention in the external world is to make it hurt. That's the cause and the effect. So now let's analyze the effect or the event and see where it's leading. So that reductionism is one way to begin to understand the spiritual journey. That is to know where we came from, what caused us to be the way we are. We can speak of that theologically or psychologically, but I don't believe that's the end. I think in addition to that question, not instead of it, is now that we have this external information, where is it leading? As Jung said about dreams, if you have a symbol in your dream, a big symbol in a dream, or an event in your life, it's like somebody coming to your door and beating on it in the middle of the night. When you go to the door, you don't say, I wonder what you mean. You say, what do you want? And so it is with all of these events in our external life that are going on. People, places, things that create for us an attraction, a depression, a pain, a pleasure, an ecstasy, an agony. The question is not just, where did you come from? What do you mean? The question is, what do you want from me? Now, all of this is to say, it seems to me that energy is available to us to be focused on metabolizing and solving these complexes of energy that are complex. And the question is both, where did you come from and where are you leading me? Now, if we understand that God is the source who has implanted God's self as a resource, and that if we're able to recognize consciously that about all we can say about God is all we can say about God, and that any statement from me about God is a statement about my consciousness of God, not about God, Anytime I say anything about God, it says more about me than it says about the well-known source of the mystery in the universe. And if we take into account that we must use symbolic language, and most of the time in our language when we are symbolizing, we use human terms, which is called anthropomorphism. If we understand all of that, then I'm very comfortable with the fact that somebody might say, God caused this to happen as long as they don't then try to tell me what God is doing in my life. I'm in charge of this universe and I would like to be connected to you and your universe but I have been given as nobody else ever in the history of the universe has been given this quantum of energy to try to direct and it's my responsibility. And I will not abdicate that responsibility nor that authority to you. But one of the things I do know is that creation seems to grow better if we are in cooperation, if we are in community, if we are connected. A word for that is love. And if you want to know what the real and true resource for creativity within the human psyche and soul is, it's that energy that we name as love. 
so that we can now understand something of our beautiful language that says, as St. John the Divine wrote, God is love, and those who dwell in love dwell in God, and God dwells in them. I like the poetic language. I like the simple affirmation that God directs and rules my heart, and that God is leading us to heaven, which is the symbol of wholeness. So that we know both in terms of reductionism that the primary source and cause of this effect known as Pittman is God. And we also know teleologically that all of these events hold within them the potential and possibility for wholeness that was given to me in the beginning. And so that I say not just who was I, but who it is that I am becoming. My being is becoming. And I would like to be transparent enough to occasionally constellate in my life the wholeness that we're all called to. That's when Dame Julian of Norwich really does speak uh, so directly for the confidence that we can have in the midst of any crisis. All will be well. All manner of things will be well. We can see it in the midst of any event, reductionistically or teleologically. I'm through.